From the desk of Jessup Flower comes Author Brand Podcast, episode number one. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Jessup Flower. I'm totally excited to be talking to you today, and I'm doing it. I can't believe it. I'm starting this podcast. Uh, It's called Author Brand, and ultimately what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build my own brand, my own platform, and hopefully inspire or uh, just kind of give some kind of encouragement to other authors out there that are doing the same exact thing. But here's what I'm doing. I'm going to record this weekly. I'm going to break it up into chapters, and so it's going to start off with the podcast intro and then just a quick thing of news, uh, just anything that's new and any updates or anything like that. And then the next chapter will be me reading from uh, one of my works. Uh, what I'm going to probably pick right off the bat is Daisy Hill and probably be like chapter or a couple chapters at a time, then another break, and then we'll just spend a little bit of time talking about method and, and the process and just different parts of the writing aspect. I think that might be kind of enjoyable. Hopefully other people will join. And ultimately, I hope that you enjoy this. Uh, If you have any questions or comments, obviously visit the blog, visit the website, contact me directly. I'll have my information at the end. And uh, yeah, we'll see you at the end of the episode. Uh, Enjoy. Daisy Hill by Jessup Flower. Chapter 1. Junction City, March 18th, 1888. Here's everything I know about Daisy Hill. I'll tell you. Because I have to tell someone. Won't get out of my head until I do. At least I hope this will get it out of my head. It's not even my story. It's a bad story, friend, I'll tell you right now. A bad story that happened a while ago, but not too long. Not really sure how long. Doesn't really matter. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Bad story. Even me hearing about it from the people I meet, it did something to me. Something I want to get rid of. Here goes. As the story goes, the little Indian boy was just playing, just playing in the dirt, not meaning no one no harm. I don't know what he had, stick, something. He probably didn't have nothing like a toy, since the little ones in the tribe never did. The girls sometimes had little dolls, blank faces, nice tiny little tasseled dresses, just like their mamas, and even long black hair and little bare feet. Those foul-burned little doll faces, always blank. Can't tell you why. Anyway, the little boy was just playing with his stick or whatever. That's the story, anyway. Drawing a little circle that looked maybe like the sun. Yeah, it was the sun. Little stick people underneath that sun doing what he thought was normal. You know, what that little boy was used to seeing every day. Maybe hunting, maybe fixing their teepee homes, maybe just walking around. I don't know. I bet that sun he drew was something he drew all the time. Huge sun, big lines coming off it, just blazing. Then Dingo Boots stepped on one of the little stick people. Big, dirty, square boots of the sickest, foamy, liquor-throw-up yellow you ever did see. Filthy. Spotted with whatever muck he was stomping through or with the blood of some poor jerk that owed him something. I don't remember the name of the boots owner. Can't remember anybody ever hearing it or knowing it. People just called him Dingo. Anyway, then Dingo Boots thumped down and ruined one of the stick people, and then they just stood there. The little Indian boy looked up with his big brown eyes like a couple of chocolate cakes that Sandy Mellon makes on those Sundays after church. God, those cakes are good. Well, everyone in that Cahalkin tribe had those big chocolate eyes. They used to, anyway. I remember that. I'd seen some of them, you know, a few times. I used to travel a lot more than I do now. I'd pick up Shaggy and fill him with stuff from my store, stuff that I knew the Indians liked. 
Oh, shaggy fowl. I missed that donkey. Anyway, but a couple of bottles of whiskey and side saddlebags for a little town nearby, things like that. Yeah, that little town called Daisy Hill. Uh, sounds nice, don't it? And yeah, it did to me, too. Used to. Daisy Hill wasn't more than a mile away from that Cahalkin tribe, and I'll eat a pig's hoof if anybody can tell you which group of people got there first and settled. And I hate pig hoofs. Uh, who got to Daisy Hill first? Well, some say it was the Indians. I don't know, partner. Those Cahalkins, they move around a lot. None of the teepee homes in their village look very permanent. Others say they moved in after being driven out of the valley. Shame that was. Those Cahalkins lost a lot of their people trying to fight off the settlers making that camp in the valley. Oh, well, we're going west, and people got to make room, I guess. I guess. Ah, that cake sure sounds good. I could use me some cake. Hey, yeah, those little boys' eyes, they look like cakes. Now, those eyes looked up at Dingo for what seemed like forever, as the story goes, and then hell if Dingo didn't just pull out his colt and blow a hole in that poor little Indian boy's head. Just like that. Well, he slumped over, plopped right down into his little picture. Poor little Red didn't even get the chance to close those big brown eyes. They were just two big chocolate cakes with big old ugly strawberry drizzle that ran down between them, pulling up into one of the sun rays that was scratched into the dirt. Shame. Hell of a shame. Well, that's how the story starts, as I heard it anyway. Old man Blodgett told it to me direct. I believe him. He's seen a lot. Johnny put his quill down. His large, fat hand was throbbing. He didn't like writing at all. He didn't like writing his store inventory down for the bank. He didn't like writing the arithmetic at the end of each month to figure out his sales. He didn't like writing people letters. He didn't like writing notes during the preacher's sermon. And now that he decided to describe everything that he knew about Daisy Hill, the pulse in his aching mitt reminded him how much he hated it. The pulse was fast, too. He couldn't help it. He took in a few deep breaths just to cleanse the grease of the memory off his mind grill. Oh, he hated thinking about that place. Hated it so much. He had never stepped foot there. Never crossed under the fabled iron arch with a crooked sign. Never shuffled through the dusty streets. But he had been there. Somehow. Hearing the stories, seeing the pictures, mentally wiping the blood-spattered memories from his brain as best he could. Those memories always left gory and painful streaks, though. The pulse pounded, shifted from his fist to his temple. Still so very, very fast. Daisy Hill just kind of did that to him. But he had to tell somebody. Anybody. Maybe if he told. Maybe if he just got it all down on paper, he could finally cleanse his mind, escape from it, leave that horrible prairie town once and for all. He wished. Borderline prayed. He just wished he could do it without all the writing. He shook his fat hand. Johnny Eliason inherited the Junction City General Store from his father, who built it himself, every oak board, every square nail of it. Johnny's dad had a passion for a few things. One was his wife, Maggie. The other his only boy, Johnny. The last, and some say biggest, was for the General Store. He opened on on Wednesday in September and quickly established it as a small riverside community go-to place. Travelers passed through from every direction, especially on their way over to the Oregon coast. It was one of the last chances to gear up before crossing that last 60 or 70 miles to the ocean where people finally came to the end of the Union. Some went for gold. Some went for adventure. Some of them went to establish a new life. Some of them just went further west than anyone else. And all of them, and I mean all of them, stopped by the Junction City General Store. When Johnny was 13, he started helping with the store, which 
began building the addition. That's right, the addition. The store was a pretty big deal in town. Johnny worked alongside his daddy even after Mama died when he was 15, polio, of course. He missed her when she passed, when he had time. Wasn't very often he worked with Daddy a lot. He hated the store. He hated the work, but he loved his Daddy. And bacon, and eggs, and cheese. Butter whenever possible. Johnny's Daddy stocked the floors, worked the counters, counted the tills, filled the shelves, packed the feed, and swept the porch every day until the very day his heart failed. On that day, his daddy heard a customer ride up and went to go help him tie up his horse. He stooped to grab an apple from the bucket by the front door. And even though Johnny was in his early 20s, one of his daily jobs was to collect apples from the trees behind the store and keep that bucket at the front door filled. Johnny's daddy gave an apple to every horse that visited. He used to tell Johnny it was good business. Johnny remembered that his daddy told him a lot of things were good business. But he could only remember the apples. When Johnny's daddy picked up that little green apple that day and started toward the front door, well, his heart just gave out. Then one of the strangest things that Johnny had ever seen occurred that day. Johnny's daddy stopped moving altogether. Just froze. Daddy was always moving, always cleaning, always straightening, always picking up a leaf that blew into the store. After all, keeping a good clean store is good business, Johnny. Always looking for ways to do something better or more efficient, but not in this moment. Johnny gaped at this alien daddy statue and immediately felt like crying, though he did not know why. Then the old man turned and looked at Johnny with eyes wide, not with fear, though, with decision. He knew somehow. Even then, he had to settle up. He didn't holler at Johnny to get help. He didn't holler at Johnny to get the town doctor. The old man looked straight into Johnny's eyes and gave one last simple order. Take care of the store for me, Johnny. Then he died standing up. The life left him before he started to tip. When he fell, his forehead whumped on the floor. Johnny's daddy's head bounced. It didn't look right. Johnny would always remember that disturbing carom. Johnny winced and for some strange reason raised his hand and bit into the meat of his massive fist. He would later remember that he felt guilty as he watched his daddy topple over. Though he would never tell a soul, some strange part of his mind echoed timber as his father fell to the floor. Once the head rebounded off the planks and a slight sound of one of Daddy's boots scraped his legs straightened there in veritable silence. Except one last eerie sound. The last sound Johnny remembered hearing was the sound of that little dropped green apple warbling around on the floor. It seemed to last forever. And when it rested in one of the carefully planed and grooved edges of one of the floorboards, well, Johnny fainted. When he finally woke up, Ed Lacton, the town barber and dentist, was fanning his face with a rag. You all right, little Johnny? People had called him little Johnny, though it was quite a misnomer. Johnny was only 23 and already lugging around over 300 pounds. Yeah, I guess so. My head hurts like hell. Oh, now you know your dad wouldn't want you speaking. Where's daddy? Johnny asked. His green eyes glistened like wet pickled olives and hovered over pudgy pink cheeks. Well, little Johnny... Ed Lacton struggled. Your daddy, he's gone and left us. He uh, met the maker, and he's, uh, well, he's in a better place. Doc moved him over to his place, you, you know, to, to get him ready. Johnny fainted again. His meaty hand plopped on the board and hit the apple again, making it bump and roll unevenly over those old, worn boards of solid oak.
Well, Johnny mashed his palm into his wet eyes at the memory, smeared away the liquid. He hauled himself away from his desk and lumbered his way to the front of the store. It was still early, but he thought he might open a few minutes early. Good business, right, Dad? The dead die, but they never seem to go too far. His red kerchief caught some snot as Johnny honked into it, and sure enough, a couple of drifters were waiting on the porch, waiting for the store to open. The little bell that Johnny had installed himself at age 13 jingled as the door opened. He pushed away the picture of his daddy clapping for him and laughing the first time that Johnny tested it out. You did it, little Johnny. By God, you did it. Johnny puffed. Morning, gents. You're up early. What are we doing for you today? So that's it. That is the first chapter of Daisy Hill. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, people often uh, ask me, you know, how do you even get started? And that's kind of the part of the process we can talk about even today here just real quickly is how do you just even get the process rolling as far as writing a story, writing a book, uh, anything? And there are a couple different ways that people can think about it. And honestly, one way is it depends on your personality type. If someone is very uh, analytical about the way you write and you have to kind of map out everything and plot it out in your mind, that is one way to do it. Uh, the other way is to kind of throw some characters into some situations and just see what happens. And uh, I kind of tend to lean more toward that aspect than than the other, uh, but outlining is still very important to me. The way I did this one uh, is I just uh, honestly started playing around with genres in my head uh, and saying, you know, I don't think I've ever read kind of an interesting story about a Western that was set in more of a thriller or uh, even kind of creepy aspect. And so just those two genres started messing around, kind of mashing up in my head and uh, the next step that I went with after that was just to come up with some characters that were interesting to me and who would fit kind of in an interesting way in that uh, environment. And then I threw them into some situations. And you'll see, obviously, some of that as we continue to read through the book. Um, but that is that's really it. And then <laughs> the hardest part is just getting uh, into the chair and starting the process of writing. And if you're struggling with that, um, I just encourage you not to, you know, just to kind of sit down, make yourself start writing something, even if it's not something that you're going to keep, uh, just the process of getting going and starting the fingers moving, uh, helps you, um, even as like a prompt, you know, just come up with a, a person or a, you know, a person in your mind, uh, give them some kind of characteristic that you think is interesting and then give them some kind of strange scenario. I mean, even for example, let's say that you just picked a, uh, a teenage uh, boy that is maybe he has some kind of developmental uh, things wrong with him or something like that. And you're not really sure what that looks like, but he just maybe has something. And this is just off the top of my head. Um, maybe he has some kind of problems and some things that are kind of limiting to him and picture him getting onto a bus to try to get home. And the bus driver tells him that he doesn't have uh, enough money or enough fare to get there. What's he going to do? You know, what, what's the conversation look like? Who are the other characters on the bus? Is there someone else on the bus that steps up and, and helps him out? Uh, or is he just completely rejected and he has to go off the bus and then figure out a way to get home? I mean, it's, it's very simple, but it might be interesting and it might lead to something else. And that's really the process of writing, uh, for a lot of us is when we just start going, it's amazing where, your mind will take the different situations and the different parts of it and what will happen next. 
And uh, again, some people can kind of do all of that before they start and plot everything out from beginning to end. That's great. That's not me. (laughs) So just do what you can with what you have. Start it and just see where the process takes you. So next week, what we're going to do is read uh, chapter two, uh, because that will introduce the actual main character of Daisy Hill. Believe it or not, Johnny is not the main character. He's very important to the story, but he's not the main one. So hopefully you'll join me next week for that. And then we'll talk about some of the process afterwards. So if you have any questions, you can contact me on my website. It's jessopflower.com. You can also follow me at Twitter at jessflower. You can also even check out um, my Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash jessopflower. And anyway, on there, you can find out how to contact me directly or, again, subscribe to this uh, podcast in iTunes. That would really help me out. Drop me some comments, hopefully some good reviews, and we will talk to you next time. So until then, keep writing and have a great week.